Welcome to the Vincennes First Church of God Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Huebner. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so thankful that you've decided to tune in and listen to us today. We hope that through this message and the Word of God, you will find not only that you are challenged, but that you are encouraged. Here at Vincent's First Church, we believe that it's our job to create kingdom culture. And we hope that you'll join us Sundays at 10 o'clock. We love you and enjoy. Have you ever been watching a movie and been caught off guard emotionally? This happened to me the first time I watched the animated movie Sing. One of the main characters, Johnny, is kind of letting his father down the entire movie. And at the end of the movie, the father truly sees his son and realizes his folly. The father finds Johnny and validates him by telling him how proud he is of him. And there I was on the couch, crying, watching this animated movie with my daughter. Why? Because it was like I could feel what he was experiencing. Yeah, it's a made-up story, but it was powerful nonetheless. Powerful because I related to this character. I grew up with an inferiority complex because I didn't believe that I measured up to my brother's. And I remember the moment that I realized that my parents didn't love me any differently. I remember when I finally realized that I was valuable for my own giftedness. I remember when I realized that God was proud of me and that God loved me for me. Not because of what I could do, but because of who I am and that I belong to him. I was able to see a glimpse of my own story in this made-up character of Johnny. And even though it's fiction, I was emotional seeing someone have a similar breakthrough like me. It's the characters of these stories that are so relatable, that, that make these stories so meaningful. Let's ask ourselves that question, what, what is a story without its characters? What is Christmas without Jesus? In a season that's surrounded by fiction, and and that fiction is fun, don't get me wrong, but let us not forget that what we celebrate isn't a story, we celebrate history. We celebrate the people involved with helping our Savior enter the world. What is Christmas without these people? What is history without contemplation, without understanding how our past can impact our future? This morning, we're starting a series called The People of Christmas. And throughout this series, we're going to look at the men and women of this Christmas story, the supporting cast, and the powerful truths that their lives proclaim, and how they give us insight on how we can prepare and receive Jesus in this coming season. In Scripture, in Luke, at the beginning, there's a story about a guy named Zechariah. And he's the priest that's gone into the Holy of Holies to prepare the incense. And the angel Gabriel shows up and says, guess what, Zach? Even though you're old and your wife is old, she's about to become pregnant. Even though she's never been pregnant before, you're going to have a son. And his name's going to be John. And this is what the angel proclaims over John. This is Luke 15, 1, 15 through 17. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. 
He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to understanding of the righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Did anybody watch the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade like, like we did at our house? We had it on on the background as we cleaned and cooked and got ready for Thanksgiving. There was one part I saw where they, they interviewed a couple of the people that were holding those big balloons. And one of the guys made it seem like they were like, they go through this extensive training and preparation. And my first thought was like, really? <laughs> How hard it is to, to, to stand there and, and hold a string. But that's best case scenario. Maybe that's not what the training's for. Maybe the training is for worst case scenario. Maybe there's some, some nerds out there like me that have seen the 1989 Batman. That's what they're preparing for. <laughs> Potential problems. And how it's essential for everyone to know how to react so that nobody floats away. Because even though it's mostly safe, what do you do when the unpredictable happens to that point, training and preparation are invaluable. Maybe you wouldn't normally think of John the Baptist this time of year, but we have to understand how essential his story is. It is the conception and birth of John that paved the way for Jesus. His life and purpose that ought to make us question the posture of our own hearts. To make us ask the question, are we prepared for the coming of Jesus? Or are we preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus. The angel Gabriel tells John's father, Zechariah, how he will prepare the people. And they're given insight, I think, into how we can prepare ourselves this Christmas season. In that first piece, he says that, that John will come and he will turn the many children of Israel to the Lord their God. If you're following along in your outline, you can fill in the blanks for this first piece. Don't focus on what you've done. Focus on what he's doing. Don't focus on what you've done. Focus on what God's doing. Upon reading the first part of this verse, I initially thought it was about correcting behavior. To turn people to the Lord is, is, is all about turning away from sin, right? And though admittedly, I think it's part of it, I don't think that that's the right focus. I want to point out two words to you that come out of this verse, the word turn and the word Lord. The word turn speaks to the application of repentance, to turn away from sin and to turn toward Jesus, literally meaning to turn around and go the other direction, which requires letting go of your past transgressions in an effort to move closer to Jesus indicating that through Jesus' death, our past is redeemed so that we can have a future and a hope. Then comes the word Lord, which by definition means loaf giver, provider, head of the household, which means attempting to live under that rule, under that authority. And sometimes that's how we react to the Lord's authority. We're sad. Have you ever heard a parent say, as long as you live under my house, you're going to obey my rules. Except under God as our Lord, we, we understand that, that his authority is benevolent and perfect. 
See, together, I believe that these words reveal that it's important that we do not focus too much on what we've done for the favor of what he's trying to do in our lives, for his design, for his plan for us. Scripture tells us the story of God's people, the Israelites, and they spent a long time being enslaved by Egypt. And when they were finally set free and they had to walk through the desert, man, out came the whiners. This is what Numbers 14, 1 through 4 says. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yes, you know what? (laughs) They said to another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt, back to slavery. The people who are set free longing to return to slavery because of the benefits. Like a people who long to go back to prison because of the meals. When asked why the Israelites longed for the tyranny of Egypt, Jordan Peterson responded, because the devil you know is better than the desert you don't. I won't speak for you, but that (laughs) that is a little too close to home for me. I know what it's like to be enslaved by sin so long that you just start to find comfort in it. That somehow, as crazy as it sounds, the, the thought of freedom is actually frightening. The idea of walking into the unknown is terrifying. To having to, to surrender our worldly comforts and trust God's provision, that's hard, guys. For the same reason that Abraham faltered, we are an impatient people. We want the promised land without the hard work of walking through the desert. We want the land flowing with with milk and honey without listening to his instruction. We want to live in a world where we can do what we want and still be blessed by God. I mean, why can't God show up in Egypt and make it more promising? Why? Because slaves can never be free under the lordship of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we're not willing to let go of what was, we can never step into what can be. What is that for you? What are you clinging to at the expense of your freedom? What desert lies between you and God's promise? What is it that God is calling you to walk away from? Or maybe, more importantly, what is it that God is calling you to walk toward? The only way to get to the promised land is to walk through the desert. But how? What does it look like to take that first step? Imagine with me for a moment that you're locked in chains and you can't get free. But you had an opportunity to call upon one person for advice. Who would you call? You know who I'd call? Harry Houdini. Why would I call him? Because he's an escape artist. That's what he does. And when he shows up, I'm going to listen to what he tells me to do, and I'm going to ask for his help. We've got to understand that the death of Jesus gave us the key to unlocking our chains, but in order to use that key, we need Jesus' knowledge and his help. Having the courage to walk into the desert is great, but without a guide, we're just going to get lost. Or worse, we're going to be just like the Israelites. We're going to get frustrated, and we're going to want to give up and go back. 
This is a journey that requires faith. Faith to believe that there is a promised land on the other side of the desert. And trusting God to lead you there in his timing. Understanding that your years of slavery are not going to be overcome in an instant. That through sin's power, it's, it's gone. It doesn't have power over you anymore. But the pole of temptation will ever be knocking. And this is also a journey that requires quality time because we, we cannot be guided by God if we don't take intentional time to listen to what he has to say, to be near him. We, we can't call him our Lord if we cannot hear what he's saying to us. We cannot fulfill our purpose if we don't understand what we were made for. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that somebody can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God didn't create us that we might prove our worth through good works and deeds. No, no, he created us to be the good works. We are the promised land. Jesus is coming to deal with our slavery so we can be free, free to do what we were created to do, free to love people, free to be peacemakers. It's not about what happened to you when you were a slave. It's not even about why you were enslaved. It's about a God who's trying to reconcile you through his son, Jesus. So you have to let go of your past so you can be a part of what he's doing. Take your focus off of what's happened and put it on what God's trying to do in this season right now. Let's go to the next piece. Seek unity through compassion. Seek unity through compassion. John's mission was to prepare us in a way that he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children Thinking about this in the context of what Jesus accomplished on the cross gives us perspective into how important John's prep work was. If Jesus established the, the unity between us and the Father, it was John essentially who got us in the same room together. John who tried to bring unity into our families, our immediate families, and our church families. In Mark 13, 12 through 13, Jesus said, Listen, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, for the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is not just giving us a prophetic word. He's issuing us a warning, letting us know what the enemy's target is. He's targeting our homes. He's targeting our churches. And it's John who he sent to bring us back together, to unify us before the enemy strikes so that we can stand together against him. It's no accident that Jesus describes the church as the body of Christ. He purposefully preached that, that we be peacemakers, that we be unified in mind and in spirit as one body. Christ is hoping that we would move together as one, understanding that the whole can accomplish more than the one. And I think that it'd be easy to argue that, that John came to, to, to get together the battle formation so that when Jesus showed up, we'd be ready to fight this spiritual war that we're stuck in and that we'd fight it together. Paul writes the letter to Ephesians to a church largely made up of Gentiles. 
a people who were not liked by the Jews, in fact, hated. And though Jesus came to break barriers between all people, there was still this hatred that lingered. Because of this, in Ephesians 2, 14 and 16, Paul says this, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Let's go down a little bit further. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, by which he did what? He put the hostility between us to death. Paul is speaking in a way that would encourage the church to come together because he knows the truth of what Abraham Lincoln said so long ago, a house divided against itself cannot stand which speaks directly into the goal of the enemy to get us to fight each other, to keep us from seeing that the enemy of our enemy is our friend and that without unity, our productivity is drastically hindered. So often we pray for revival in this country, but I'm not sure that it's going to happen without unity. I mean, think about what would happen if we broke down all these denominational lines and worked together. If we let go of the petty differences and unified under this one thing that we all agree on, our love for Jesus Christ, to fulfill on earth the reality of heaven. Because guess what? In heaven, there aren't denominations. All of God's children praising him together as one. The question is, how do we do this? How do we seek unity? And how do we do that? Through compassion. The answer is in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here it is. Here's, here's the, the hardest part. And make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive those who offend you. Let me take a moment and tell you what this is not saying. It doesn't say that you need to become a punching bag. It doesn't say that you should just expect everyone to fail you. It doesn't say that your feelings and experiences don't matter. What it says is make allowance for each other's faults. Others there is plural. That means reciprocal. Paul's letting us know that unity is hard that we are human, and that we are flawed, and that nobody should ever go into any relationship without understanding that there's going to be some kind of turmoil. It's the truth of humanity. But instead, what would it look like if we had a posture where we're ready to forgive and give grace, knowing that we are going to need that same grace in return, and ultimately to be guided by love? Why? Because it's what Jesus has called us to. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. That's how you will know. We spend so much time this holiday season putting up lights, shopping, wrapping, etc., etc., all the things that we do. Why wouldn't we also take time to turn our hearts to each other, to prepare our hearts to, to forgive, to love? Isn't that what the season's all about? Celebrating the coming of Jesus, celebrating the birth of peace, the birth of hope, the birth of love, the birth of forgiveness. What better way to celebrate than letting this be a reminder to pay forward the blessings that we've received from the Lord. Understanding that the only gift we need in return is Jesus. So that it can be like the end of the Grinch. All the Who's and Whoville can hold hands and sing together in unison 
even if the Grinch stole their Christmas, to stand before the King of Kings, locked in hand, singing hallelujah together and loving the Grinches in our lives so well that they end up next to us. How might you prepare yourself in this season by making room to give other people compassion? It's the last piece. Yield your heart to be molded by his hands. Yield your heart to be molded by his hands. John's last mission was to turn the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. Can you imagine with me being the first to witness some of these things? What if you were the first person to witness a farmer spreading manure all over his fields? What if you were the first person to, to see somebody walk into a spider web and then person's lost their mind? What if you saw the first person cut down a tree, drag it inside their house, and then put lights on it? Imagine being the first person that put peanut butter on celery. Without understanding, doing these things would seem insane. And that's no different from how countercultural many of Jesus' teachings were. And this reveals John's mission to us was, was not simply to encourage positive behavioral change, but to help us understand why. Because for so many of us, the answer, because I said so, just doesn't cut it. This means one of the ways we prepare ourselves is to seek deeper understanding, not just understand, or, or, or knowing what to do, but why. Refusing to stop at the surface so that our behavior can be fueled by knowledge because shallow wisdom is fragile and inconsistent. It lacks the faith roots that, that are needed to survive when life becomes difficult. Like, what good is it to know to forgive if I don't understand why? If I, if I don't understand that I'm called to forgive because Jesus has forgiven me? If I don't understand that through my unforgiveness, I'm in danger of hell? What good is it to tithe if I lack the reason why? If I don't understand that tithing is, is not about giving money to the church, it's about trusting God more than money. If I don't know that by not giving joyfully, then I'm wasting my time, I gain nothing. What good is it to know to love if you have no idea how to define love? If you have no idea that love is patient and kind? If you have no idea that love keeps no record of wrongs? See, how many of us in this busy season are, are setting aside time to grow in our knowledge of Jesus? How many of us are, are waiting for life to slow down so we can find a better rhythm? I don't know about you, but I've been doing this adult thing for about 17 years, and through that whole time, I'm still waiting for life to slow down. And basically what I'm saying is, throw your New Year's resolutions in the trash can. Why wait a month? Why not start today? Why not make a commitment this season to learn more about Jesus? Why not make a commitment to, to learn more about the Christmas story? Maybe you're waiting to start a diet so I can eat whatever I want for Christmas. Maybe you're waiting to, to start reading so you can binge watch that new Godzilla show. Okay, maybe just me, that's fine. Maybe you're waiting to, to start that family devotional when your kids are a little bit older and behave better. 
So many of us here today, we, we understand that there are changes that need to be made in our life. Some of us know that deep within our soul, but we still feel helpless to change. Some of us because we haven't surrendered to Jesus as our Lord. Some of us because we're convinced that our problems are like the walls of Jericho. They're just too big. Some of us because the unknown that is the desert scares us to death. Whatever your reason, I want to share this verse with you. A verse that throughout this week I found a lot of strength in my own life. Psalm 118, 5. I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. While I was reading that word spacious, it really stuck out to me. You know why it stuck out to me? Because <laughs> I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> what is a spacious place? Why would I even want to be in a spacious place? So I looked up the verse and I did a little bit of digging and I found some interesting things. The word spacious could also mean liberty or freedom. And the word distress could also mean tight or trouble. So I want to read a couple different translations of this. I called to the Lord when I was in a tight space and he put me in a spacious place. I called to the Lord when I was in trouble and he helped me find freedom. I'm going to ask Charlie to come. And we're going to close in a minute. I went to a camp in, in Missouri and went uh, splunking with, with some of my youth kids, which just means we went walking through a cave, I guess. While we were down there, uh, I convinced one of the students that we were like Bear Grylls, and if Bear Grylls were here, he would just drink this cave water. So we tried it, and he ended up getting a parasite. But don't worry, we named the parasite Henry. The kid survived. He can't eat pizza anymore, but he's still alive. So it all worked out. It was my first time being in a cave where like you have to crawl through some spaces and you can feel like walls all around you. And I'm, I'm really not claustrophobic, but I tell you what, when it's dark and it's tight and you like, it's hard to breathe, it's a little sketchy. In fact, some of y'all are like, please stop talking about this. It's freaking me out right now. It's hard to see. It's hard to breathe. You feel limited, isolated. I think that's what this psalmist is trying to help us see, what sin does to us. It enslaves us. But it is the Word of God that sets us free. It is God's Word that can remold us into the image of our Father. And it's in that freedom that we're no longer tightly bound, but in a spacious place to be free. Not free to do what we want, but free to become who we've been created to be. Free to make mistakes, to not be bound by hell's debt. I think this is how John came to prepare us, trying to get us into a place where we have an opportunity to make better choices, that in the hands of the potter, even as broken vessels, we can be made new. This week, we're going to enter the month of December. Some of you, you're like, woo! Can't wait for eggnog and Christmas carols and all that. 
For some of you, it's a little bit terrifying. Maybe this is the first holiday season you're going to have to deal without having a loved one by your side. Life is full of ups and downs. The only thing I understand completely in my life is that I have no desire to face either the ups or the downs without Jesus. When I think about what John came to do, I think, why? Did the Savior of the world really need a human to help pave the way? to prepare us. And I just thought about that in our own context, and I realized that, that Jesus' birth happened a long time ago, and that this is just the season in which we celebrate that. But even so, to me, it's an important reminder of what this season is really about. And what this season is really about is that we had a God that loved us so much he saw what was happening to us and he sent us a savior. He could have just rescued us through his power. He didn't do that. He sent us a baby. In a manger. This month is an opportunity to refocus, to reorder our priorities, to say, you know what? I don't care if this present comes on time. I don't care if we get to meet together as family. I don't care if everything works out perfectly. We can spend this month trying to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. Because there's one thing that I know and understand. We have no idea when the day of his return is coming. And will you be prepared when it happens? That's the opportunity we have this season to refocus.